today on the Under Pressure podcast. We admit we crumbled to the pressure in missing last week's podcast, but we're also going to talk about the Clippers, who had arguably the biggest choke in NBA history. We're then going to talk about the positive Maxwell and Carey partnership that got Australia off the line and the race to the final eight. Two positions can still be filled by four sides. What, who are they going to be? What's the combination? We're going to look at that. And we're also going to look at some remarkable Formula One action in the last couple of races from Italy and talk about a future Aussie F1 champion. All that and a whole lot more on the Under Pressure podcast. I'm Matt Ellis and joining me as he always does, Jake Barker. Welcome back. Thanks, Matt. It's been a very, very sombre couple of weeks for me, sporting-wise. It's, uh, I've had the, uh, the cats, unfortunately, go down, yeah, to, albeit to Richmond, which is a, a fair effort, but the Tigers are definitely too good on the night. I've uh, just had my uh, NBA team, the LA Clippers, which we'll get to in a minute, uh, choke another 3-1 lead in the semifinals, so I'm not too, not too pleased there. And just to cap it all off, I got, I got knocked out of my... Supercoach finals from the top four after being there all year. So that just, that just rounds it off. So I'm not having a very good sporting two weeks, but, you know, hopefully it gets better with the uh, AFL finals coming up. Jake, you say that you've had a tough, pretty hard, harsh fo- uh, sport following in your last few weeks. That doesn't bear anywhere in comparison to my lifetime as being a Melbourne supporter. So... Your harshest couple of weeks is about my standard weeks. So you've got a point. Like, I'm going to give you a bit. I'm going to give you a bit of sympathy, which is probably a bit more than you deserve. But I'm going to give it, give you some sympathy. So yeah, um, I'm just going to wind back very quickly to the uh, cats. Um, you said to me, and I quote, after the game, it's sometimes not a bad loss to have. Yes, it's it, and I actually I actually agree with you on this, but I just want you to share your logic and your mindset in that logic. Well, obviously, being a Geelong supporter, I've had the, the luxury of seeing a few premierships, albeit a, almost a decade ago now, really. But all those three teams tended to have a loss around the second or third last game of the year, and that's what's happened now. Obviously, Richmond are a very, very good side. Probably a team that we might see face off against the Cats in the finals as well. Could possibly be the grand final too. Could be a good matchup there. But yeah, sometimes it is always good to, to have, that, have that loss. Sometimes clubs don't need it. But I think the Cats are on a very good run as of late. But it was a bit of a reality check. And I don't think they fully played their full hand knowing that going into the last quarter, they, they were... A, they were a glimmer of hope with maybe seven or eight minutes to go, but then it all went downhill from there and they played their cards pretty close to their chest, I think. And credit to Richmond, they played a phenomenal game. And, but yeah, that, that, that's my logic and it's worked well for the Cats before, but the uh, week off hasn't worked well for the Cats either. So we'll see how that goes coming into finals. Yeah, completely agree there. But also, you've got a couple of big inclusions uh, this week, which uh, the uh, coach, Chris Scott, has already confirmed. Uh, Gary Ablett, Joel Selwood. Um, so I'm Two of the great Geelong players back into the team. That's definitely going to 
boost your confidence in that facade with those two playing around, I'm sure. Yeah, no, 100%. It, just to have the experience heads, that's 750 games of experience right there and, and five premierships in total. So, yeah, it's good to have them both back. And it'll be good to have Gaz in that forward line who'll be able to take away a defender now. And as well as, as, well as also getting Joel back, it's good to have that leadership. It's, it's, it's never easy to play without your captain for a long period of time. And I think we've done... The cats have done pretty well. I don't want to seem like this is a Geelong podcast, but yeah, the cats have done really well without without Joel at the moment. But it's it's good that they're going to have this last game, which I think's the right thing to do just before finals. And yeah, I mean, two one of two of the biggest inclusions going into the last round for sure of any team, I think. And I noticed listening to our AFL three hundred and sixty the other night in their thousand episode, Chris Scott said he and Joel both think he could have played a week. Could have already played this season, and they're holding their cards close to their chest. I think it's. I've often said I've always thought Brad Scott is the better coach, and then I heard Chris Chris Scott say that, and I went, "He is playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers in maneuvering a potential masterstroke." And if this pay, if this, if Geelong win a grand final, I I, I personally think it it could go down as one of the great all-time grand final wins for any side if Geelong win it. Um, particularly when you look at the way that he's set, he's setting his side up to finals, which you could arguably say in previous seasons they haven't really done, or in, in recent previous seasons, they haven't done so well. Yeah, the lead-up's been, been very good looking at it as a Geelong supporter. Obviously, as you said, the, the last few years haven't been ideal coming into, into finals. We've, they've always had some injuries, the game plan's a bit out of whack where they're losing to top teams when, when it'd be nice to be pushing them. So you think you might have a chance in, in those finals, but it's good to see them playing a, well against some quality opposition. And you're right, the, the, their cards have been played close to their chest and I don't think they've fully revealed everything and it's, and I think it's good going into the finals to have that bit of mystery about you that other clubs don't know about. This is, I think, for me, as a general footy fan, the first time since the early 2010s that I've genuinely feared a Geelong side in the finals. Genuine fear. Yeah, no, Geelong's definitely been one of those teams that you, you sort of... They'll get to a semi-final or a pre- prelim, but they'll never they'll never go through past that that stage. So, and that's that's just been over the last over the last five to probably five to eight years. Besides the uh, the dynasty they had just before that, it's been a bit of a struggle as of late. Yeah, um, keeping on the topic of AFL, we're just going to look at mainly the final two positions available in the eight. The equation is pretty simple for St Kilda. Win and you're in. Pretty simple for St Kilda. Gets a little bit more complicated from the doggies onwards. Defeat Fremantle and they're in. Or St Kilda defeat the Giants and Essendon defeat Melbourne should the dogs lose. So if you had to pick... 
the likely top eight, you'd, you'd probably back the Dogs to beat the Dockers. Dockers have been impressive. I do think the Dockers are due for one more good win this year. Could it be against the Dogs? Because there have been a very clear Dogs on point. Dogs not on point. So it'll be interesting there. Gets a little bit more complicated for Melbourne, as it usually always does, actually. (laughs) Defeat Essendon and Fremantle defeat the Dogs or defeat Essendon and St Kilda lose percentage in loss to Giants. That's probably the next most common scenario. Melbourne in, I'd probably say St Kilda out, which would be heartbreaking because St Kilda, I think, genuinely deserve to be in the top eight. I don't actually believe that Melbourne do deserve to be in the top eight as a Melbourne sport, if I'm being completely honest. The Giants, they need to defeat St Kilda with major percentage boost. Essendon defeat Melbourne or Fremantle defeat the Dogs. I don't see the Giants making it. However, I wouldn't be surprised if they do beat the Saints because I feel like they're in urgent need of a statement. They didn't deliver the statement against the Ds last week. They need to make a huge statement. Their captain is back. Look, you're not wrong. Yeah, look, you're not wrong. I think the statement, not that I would condone dropping your captain. I don't think that was the right thing to do, but that's another story for another day. With the the Giants, they're coming off two losses, so they're going to be... If it's their own fault if they don't if they don't make finals. These last three weeks have been a bit of a bit of a struggle for them. So I, I definitely do think with the talent they do have that they still can knock off St Kilda, as you said before. That that's that's the game that's up in up in air for sure, and it's going to be the one that decides everything essentially. Because obviously the other teams are playing other teams that are either consolidated or. or can't make it, but it's kind of good that the game's on Friday night, so it's early on, so the other teams know what's what what they need to do. Yeah, you you actually just beat me to the punch there. I was about to say, Giants play and Saints play Friday night. Melbourne, Essendon, first thing on Saturday at two ten at Metricon Stadium, and then it's the Doggies game, which is actually. The last game on Sunday. As a Melbourne supporter, this is giving me huge flashbacks to 2017 when Melbourne lost early Saturday afternoon to a Collingwood and then, oh, I can't, who were we barracking for? I think we were barracking for the Adelaide Crows to beat the Eagles in Perth and the Eagles just got over the line. It's got a huge 2017 feel to it, but I've also felt that huge 2017 vibe over St Kilda all, all season. I feel like this is the year that St Kilda have shown, we are here. We are here to challenge. And then they fall at the last hurdle. And I, I said it earlier, I don't think Melbourne deserve to make finals. They just haven't been good enough for long enough. And if I'm going to be brutally honest, of those four sides, uh, Dogs, Melbourne, Saints and the Giants... The only team that I would be scared of playing out of those four are the Dogs. I think the other teams are all making up the numbers because the Dogs at their best, they can genuinely beat anyone. Whereas I don't think the best from the others can beat many of many the top eight sides, particularly in a, in a crunch final. 
Yeah, no. If I was to pick, if I was to pick the t- one team out of that four to not want to play in the finals, it would certainly be the Bulldogs. Their their midfield's second to none, and, and if they get on a roll, it's certainly going to be very difficult for any team to to go with them. And when they've got everyone behind the ball going forward, it's 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 definitely hard to stop. So the Bulldogs would be definitely my team that I wouldn't want to face there at any point at all. And the other, the other scary aspect that you, we, I am just going to briefly talk about, if, if the top five ladder positions stay the same, um, whoever finishes eighth will play the Eagles in Perth. There is no harder trip in football, and it's actually going to be even harder than normal because they're going to not just be in hub life for the seven days before, but they're going to be in quarantine hub life for about seven to eight days before the game. So they're going to be completely locked up like almost hens in a cage, not able to do something. They don't have the freedoms of being able to walk around the hotel or whatnot. It is going to be a hard quarantine. The West Coast Eagles players, they're able to quarantine from their homes. So it's actually, a. It, you, you always say the trip to Perth can't get any harder. It can, and this time it will for a final. Yeah, certainly. It's not going to be easy for whoever finishes in that eighth spot. But I, to be honest, I could if, if the dogs end up finishing in that eighth position, I, 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 could, I could see them beating West Coast in, in a final. Their midfield's They've done strong. it before. Exactly. They've, they've done it before. Exactly. That's why I'm very, I'm very high on the Bulldogs as of late. They've won four of their last five. They're on a bit of a roll. So if they were to get the win this week, and secure that spot. Look, they'd probably end up finishing seventh if they secured that spot. But and then they, they play Collingwood, who and then they play Collingwood, and I would, I'd almost tip the dogs in that match. Yeah, with the form they're going in at the moment, certainly they they would be a favourite if they make it. So, being a West Coast or or a Collingwood fan, you'd certainly want the dogs not to make the finals at the moment. You just want them to slip up at the at the right at the at the last hurdle. Playing Fremantle as well, who by all means are Kizale's, very close. Up, yeah. up at Kazali Stadium. I've actually, and I've got a very close tipping battle with you. I need to make up two tips in this final round. Um, I don't really want to reveal my hand too much, but I've actually tipped the uh, Dockers in this match purely because I've played the stadium, played the ground a couple of times already this year. So... I'm also trying to claw up some tips here late in the season, but who knows? Like, it's we, we saw with Melbourne that it was a difficult ground to play, and that's why I've tipped the Dockers. Yeah, certainly, and it's going to be a difficult game, and it's probably good for for the Dogs and, and for everyone else around them because the Dockers are certainly uh, capable of winning that game. They've been very good and very unlucky not to be in the mix, in my opinion. So... But we won't get into that too much. Yeah. Yeah. Just a carton kick after the siren. And it could be a completely different scenario for them. But as we said, we will move on to the NBA. Jake looks disappointed just talk about knowing what he's about to talk about. What happened to the Clippers? This is the second time in a Western Conference semi final that they've been leading 3 1 and they've lost. You've got the big name recruits in the off season of 
Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Many people tipped you to be in a superb Western Conference final with the Lakers, your crosstown rivals, yet you've stumbled at the final hurdle. I, I know that I'm sort of winding this up a bit for a bit of uh, theatrics, but tell me what you think. Oh, where to, where to begin with? Oh, I even, I even uh, there was game six was at 3am and I even woke up. I went, went to bed for a little nap and, and tried to watch that one as well. And I, and I did, and I wasn't too happy that I had to wake up 3am for a loss. But yeah, in the end, it was, personally, I think it was chemistry in the end that, that sort of, that didn't, that, that didn't get us across the line. The Denver obviously had two very, very good players in their own rights in Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, who's arguably the best centre in the game at the moment. And we didn't really have much to cover him in terms of a big man that could, that could run with him. But it was, it happened twice in games five and six where we had 16, 15 point leads with two or three minutes to go in the third quarter. And we just didn't put the uh, foot on the pedal and, and take it away. We, uh, we let go and, they came back into it and ended up winning both of those games. And game seven, we just saw the chemistry chemistry go and couldn't make any shots. And and that's where it ended. You see, you see teams who have a run on. They're they're very hard to stop. And once once the once the uh, ball went up in game seven, it's anybody's game. It doesn't matter what type of form you're in or what type of a game it is or game the game it's been. It could be anyone's go. But it went went Denver's way as the Clippers. Couldn't make a shot in the last quarter. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard actually scored no points in the last quarter, which was very disappointing. But as you said, as a Clippers fan, we've been here before, and I believe it was 2015. Clippers were up 3-1 against the Rockets, and they were up, I think, it was possibly even 20 points late in the third quarter, and, and a whole bunch of bench blokes got them back into the game, and they won game six. And then they lost game seven. And personally, some of it's got to be put could I just, on. Could I, could I just interrupt here, Jake? You, I'm going to use a few footy terminologies here because I know not everyone's aware, got huge knowledge of the NBA. So you've recruited very much in the now, bringing in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, which is a bit like getting Nat Fife and Paddy Cripps into the team. Yeah, pretty top much. Two, two, yeah. Pretty much two of the top five best players in the comp. We saw Kawhi Leonard pretty much carry Toronto last season. You've recruited for them now and they didn't step up in arguably the game that you pay them the most to step up. Game seven of any series, that's when your big name players must deliver and they failed to do that. So if not now, when can the Clippers make it to the Western Conference final because this was their window. This was their chance. And what needs to change for them to take that next step next season? Well, for, for one, Kawhi did actually have a very good playoffs in, in general. He, he scored 28, 29 plus points in maybe 11 of the 13 games that were played. He had two pe- fairly poor games, but overall he was very, very good and delivered what 
a, a superstar player should, but just unfortunately one of those games was a game seven and not the game you really wanted to do that. Paul George was a bit disappointing. He, he probably played very much under, under, his, under his ceiling and didn't really look like it for, for the most part of the playoffs. But the most disappointing thing for me was that the hype over our bench all season. And unfortunately, it was, first of all, it was touted to be one of, if not the best bench in, in the NBA. And the Clippers were known to have the best depth in the NBA as well across a whole squad. And none of them seemed to, to turn up in that, in that playoff series. I know being away and being in a bubble doesn't help, but everyone's, everyone's there and, it was different circumstances, but... Just quickly on the topic of the bubble, if it was an ordinary season, ordinary final series, do you think the result would have been different? Just... Or is it just too hard to judge with the crowd advantages and... Uh... It, it is definitely very hard to judge considering that there's there's been such a dominance of the home team, really, uh, in especially in high stakes playoff games, not, not necessarily the first round. You see a lot of, lot of sweeps, which is 4-0 in, uh, in, NBA, in NBA terms. So you see a lot of those in the early rounds, but crowds definitely play a part when it comes to the semifinals and the Western Conference finals and, and so on. So if there was some sort of, if there, if there were crowds, I'm not saying the result would have been different. Obviously it may not have been 3-1. It could have been 2-2, but being three three one up in any sort of in any sort of series is is definitely winnable. That's losing three straight games in a row, and I don't think the Clippers would have done that all season with, with being with crowds or being not with crowds. They wouldn't have lost three in a row all all season, and, and it happened in the last three games where it, where it seemed to happen. But the bubble also does play a part, as you don't see many three one leads, and three one leads get chopped down. But Denver have done it twice now in two rounds. So <laughs> when you think yeah. about it, that's, it's, it's pretty shocking. The bubble's doing some strange things and it'll be interesting to watch. I mean, I'm looking, I'll, I'll still be watching. I, I enjoy the NBA, but disappointing not to be there, but it, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly going to still watch and, and see who wins, see who wins for sure. It'd be nice to see possibly a team like Denver or possibly maybe the Miami Heat get through as well, pl- finishing in fifth and, making their way through all the way to the West, uh, the Eastern Conference Finals, I should say. So it'll be interesting, interesting to finish off, but certainly not the result I, I was after or, or any Clippers fans were after, but I'm sure all the Lakers fans were ecstatic to see it happen. So good, good for them. Yeah. So now moving a little bit closer to home with the NBL, um, some big news this week. Um, was that the NBL, uh, the NBL, I should say, is in negotiations with the big government over a potential Melbourne hub to start off the NBL season. But the big news is the determining the name of the new Tasmanian side. And Jake will give us a quick update on that. Yes, yeah, so I was. I'm very excited. I was very excited by this. I love. I love a good team name and a and a and and giving that chance for the fans to, to sort of put put in what they think the Tasmanian team should be called. I think there was about 10,000 applicants and they narrowed it down to five. So they had the uh, Tasmanian Tridents, 
Mountaineers, Pride, Jack Jumpers, and Timbers were the five were the five teams. And it's now been narrowed down narrowed down to three with the Tridents, the Pride and the Jack Jumpers all still being in play. So that is what the team names one of well, that's what the Tasmanian team name will be. I'm unaware of when the next one will be done or when it'll be when the official name will be announced. I know the next name will the next cutoff will be October one where they cut it down to two teams, two names. But I don't know when the, the full decision is to to give the full announcement of what the team name is actually going to be. But it's a bit of excitement for, for the the NBL. Obviously, they're not being a season just yet, but it's a some excitement for the fans. And I'm sure a lot of people are following. And whoever suggested the names, I hope they get some, uh, they get some sort of royalties for it. They're the ones who came up with it. Yeah. So. <laughs> It'd be nice to... Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's yeah. No, I, I think that would be nice. Yes, that's that's mostly all the NBA NBL news, I should say. But there's there's been over the last few weeks, besides a few free agents and whatnot, but not a lot to report on there. And hope and obviously the season will be getting getting underway in a couple of months, and we'll probably hear yeah. about it more then. And um, we're now going to move over to the world of Formula One. Holy crap! What a two weeks in Italy. I'm going to start off in. I'm going to sort of set the story here. And Jake, so Jake and I both watched the Monza race, which was a couple of weeks ago, and then I watched the start of the Maranello or Magello, Magello race. Sorry, Maranello is the town that's 70 k's away. I'm a Ferrari. I didn't watch all of it live, but I watched it first thing when I woke up the next morning. So a lot of talk this year has been around Alex Albon and his status at Red Bull, being their number two driver to Max Verstappen. Um, Almost won the first race if he didn't hit Lewis Hamilton or Lewis Hamilton didn't hit him when he was trying to overtake, which ultimately cost him the chance of winning that race. He Since then, he's seemed a shell of his former self. He hasn't been doing that well and just not looked confident. He's been off the pace in qualifying quite considerably to Max Verstappen, and it's just been disappointing. You then compare it to the guy that took his seat 12 months ago from him, Pierre Gasly, who if you had to ask, um, Jake and I spoke about this, I believe, last week, you had to pick the three most consistent drivers this season. You'd pick Lewis Hamilton one, Max Verstappen two. He has had a bit of car trouble in the last two races, but not his fault. And then you put Pierre Gasly. Hasn't been always at the front of the group, but he's been consistently getting the best out of his Alpha Tauri car. We then had the first red flag in Formula One since 2017. And under the new regulations... That is a fresh new standing start on the grid. Pierre was in the top cup of four cars, I believe, and somehow got himself to the front. And he stayed there. And he had a very good attempt from um, Carlos Sainz of McLaren, who tried to overtake him pretty much on the last lap and just was just too far back. Alpha Tauri doesn't win many races. They've won two races in Formula One history, both actually at Monza, funnily enough. 
One was in 2008 where someone called Sebastian Vettel, who just happens to be a four-time world champion, won the first race for Toro Rosso, as they were known then. Um, Funnily enough, that was before Red Bull had won a race. So the baby team had won a race before the big team. That's just a bit of fun Red Bull racing history. And now Pierre Gasly. It was, to me, the sporting moment, sporting highlight of the year. So Pierre's had a difficult 12 months. He got dropped from Red Bull. His best friend, Antoine Hubert, passed away at Spa with a horrible crash in his first race after Red Bull. And then just to see the joy of him winning the race was magical. To be honest, the moment that will stick with me for this Formula One season is him sitting on the top step just soaking it all in after all the other drivers and the champagne, the drivers had left, the champagne had been sprayed. That was just, to be honest, a great sporting moment. So back on to Alex Albon. Pierre Gasly winning, pressure's now really on Alex Albon, who benefited from the two red flag restarts at Mugello. Pretty, pretty funny that we haven't had red flag since 2017 and we've had three and two races he did a superb overtake after the second restart against daniel ricardo to take the third place podium ricardo believes if there wasn't that third restart uh that second safety uh red flag restart he reckons he would have been able to hold him because there was a change of tires and a few changes there and it just benefited the red bull car a bit more than the renault but superb effort from albon the pressure hit was on him more so than any other race this year. Your biggest rival, the one that's vying for your seat next year or even later this year, you backed it up with a podium. You, wouldn't, you were never going to overtake the two Mercs. The Mercedes are just too powerful. And the only reason why Gasly got that chance last time was Lewis Hamilton got a 10-second stop-go penalty, which is essentially a 35-second penalty and Valtteri Bottas was just in the wrong place at the wrong time and unable to overtake in those conditions. So well done to both Pierre Gasly and Alex Albon. Superb drive. But the other exciting moment from the world of Formula One is actually from Formula Three. So it's a couple of categories now, a little bit slower cars, but to anyone that doesn't know the sport too well, You'd look at those cars and you say, that's a Formula One car. Australian Oscar Piestri, or Piestri, might have got the pronunciation wrong there, won the Formula One, a Formula Three championship. I'm just going to just uh, read through a couple of, couple of names. 2020, uh, 2010 champion Esteban Gutierrez, Formula One driver. Valtteri Bottas, 2011 Grand Prix winner. 2013, Daniel Kvyat, former Red Bull driver and current Alpha Tauri driver. 2015, Esteban Ocon, Daniel Ricciardo's current teammate. 2016, Charles Leclerc, Grand Prix winner Ferrari driver. George Russell, very promising young driver on the grid and, and Antoine Hubert in 2018. Typically, you win this championship, you race Formula One. Yeah, certainly. Seems like with all those, those names. Other, 
Uh, there's obviously a couple other names that didn't get there, like uh, Mitch Evans, Alex Lynn, and um, last year's winner, Robert Schwartzman, but he's probably a year or two off from really pushing for that seat. I'm not saying that Oscar will make the grid next year. Probably won't even make it the year after, but come 2023, maybe 2022, if he has a good F2 year next year, should be on the grid. Yeah, it certainly seems, but with all the names there, as, as, as you wheeled them off, there, there are so many Formula One races there and so many successful Formula One races. It's, it's not just that they've, they've come in and they've just been there. They've, be, they've become very successful. So to win that is obviously a very good omen. And <laughs> if I were him, I'd be very, very ecstatic that, I, that I've done that. And hopefully he can prove, prove, all, the, uh, prove all those people right. And hopefully he can have a few years on the grid while Daniel Ricciardo's on the grid, a bit like Ricciardo and Weber did, just to ensure that there's always an Australian on the grid. But, excuse me, we're going to finish off talking a little bit of cricket. Went to bed thinking, oh, yes, Stark's got two wickets in the first two balls of the game. We've got this. I went to sleep. Turns out then uh, they got to 300. Bit nervous. Now, what were Australia? I think they were five for not many. Just bringing up my scorecard because I've just lost my note. Yeah, no, they were five so for 73. So five for 73, chasing 302. 99 times out of 100 or is it more like 490 times out of 500? You're not winning that match. Yeah, especially with your number six and seven. Like, that is the last last two. They're the last two recognised batsmen in the team. And you really have to put your head down and and take some risks as well because you're not going to get there without taking a few risks. And they, they, they certainly did that. They put on a magna- magnificent partnership. Unfortunately, they didn't get us all the way there. They got us to six for 285 with about two and a half overs remaining. So it was still a bit, <laughs> still a bit iffy then as well, but we managed to get over the line, which was, which was very good. But yeah, props to both Alex Carey and, and Maxwell. They both played their roles perfectly. As Matt and I were talking about it earlier, Carey played probably the, a little bit more of a steady hand <laughs> as, as Maxwell does like to go a bit more, but certainly going almost to run a ball for a hundred is, is, is no slouch either, but you have to be, going pretty well to do that as well and obviously Maxwell back to his brilliant best. As I was um, doing the intro I mentioned that we missed last week's show and Alex Carey probably would have almost been my under pressure person of the week or team of the week along with uh, Alex Albon. Alex Albon succeeded and so did Alex Carey. He was under a bit of mounting pressure yeah, to uh, perform. I think he I think he missed a T twenty game and Matty Wade took the gloves for one of the games just to try the balance the balance out and for him to then overcome that and then get a hundred. He's made in hundred for Australia. Uh, huge kudos to him and uh, Glenn Maxwell to me, hundred and eight off ninety balls. Just the cent um they, they were both the centre stone, but they were it was the Maxwell innings that jumped off to me. I'm a I'm a big Maxwell fan. I, I, I think he is a player that you play in all three formats of the game. He might fail every two two innings. But the other two innings will be exactly what you need in that fifth innings 
will win you the match. He's the type of player that I, I genuinely believe, and I'm not just saying this because he was superb not to this week, but he should be in the test team. For me, I, I'd, I'd have him in over Matty Wade. I know you're a bit more of a Matty Wade fan, but that's what I, th- what I think we need. A bit of explosiveness and character. I'm going to go with character. Yes, yeah, he certainly is. He certainly is a character f- for sure. Everyone knows that. Max is a bit of a, a a wild thing when it comes to the normalities of cricket. He does he does like to do things a little bit differently. But yeah, no, it was it was a, ended up being a fantastic win. Obviously, England are at the top of the ODI rankings, so that that's fantastic for Australia to get the win in that series over them against England the world been, champions. Exactly, England have been on a bit on of their a roll. Yeah, England have been on a bit of a roll and. They've been doing really well, and it was great to see Australia back to their brilliant best in the one days. They are currently in fourth at the moment with the rankings, so they want to see that rise up in the next few months or in the next year or so. But it's good to get a win and good to win the series as a whole. Yeah, it was set out as a really good series, uh, tied at one all coming into that final match. Yeah, just really sets up the Australian summer really well. Obviously, most of these players will now go into the IPL in is it Dubai or Abu Dhabi. I forget which one, but that part of the world and then come back for the Australian summer against India, which promises to be an absolute blockbuster. Now, with uh, the final round of the footy this week, next week we're going to do a special under-pressure show focusing on the bottom, t- the 10 sides that didn't make the finals and discuss them in a bit more detail, discuss what they might need for next year, any early trade rumours and what have you. And then the following week, the week before the first week of the finals, we're going to talk about the top eight sides and go to town on those top eight sides. So until then, thank you for listening. Please like, share, subscribe our podcast. It really means a lot to us. And until then, we'll see you on the next.